the Deshaun Watson situation, Terry McLaurin's extension, and the New Orleans Saints defense. We talk about all that and more on today's episode of Locked On NFL. You are Locked On NFL. Your daily NFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome in to another episode of the Locked On NFL Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's Monday, so that means you have me, Kevin Ostriker, the host of Locked On Ravens, and thank you for making Locked On NFL your first listen of the day. We're free and available on all platforms, including on YouTube. And today's episode of Locked On NFL is brought to you by Bet Bet BetOnline, as we covered this season with more props, odds, and lies than ever before. Bet online where the game starts. And we're back here, another jam-packed episode of Locked on NFL here on Monday. We're going to be talking about the happenings throughout the entire league with experts from our network in the first time. We'll be talking with Jeff Lloyd of Locked on Browns about the Deshaun Watson situation. No suspension handed down yet as of this recording. We'll be talking with him about what that means and when the suspension potentially could be handed down and what it could be. In the second segment, we'll talk with Chris Russell of Locked On Commanders about the Terry McLaurin extension and what that means for the Washington Commanders. Then in the final segment, we'll transition to defense, talk about Peyton Turner and that Saints defense with Ross Jackson of Locked On Saints. So let's now dive in to the content, starting off with Jeff Lloyd of Locked On Browns talking about the Sean Watson. Joining me now, one of the hosts of Locked On Browns, Jeff Lloyd, to talk about the Deshaun Watson situation. Jeff, I know there's been tons and tons to talk about with this situation. How are you doing today? Um, we're doing good. You know, as we, you know, moving through here, 4th of July weekend, uh, training camp, uh, you know, for the Browns, 23 days away or so, um, you know, from the time we're sitting down here talking about this, you know, still a lot to be put to bed for the Browns, you know, what is eventually going to be. Uh, basically the punishment for Deshaun Watson in the off-field, um, the allegations, the ongoing civil suits, all that type of stuff here. Um, stuff we're getting a little bit tired of talking about, but, you know, and that's with any story. Everybody gets tired of talking about it till you get a resolution. Hopefully with, you know, this, this is something that's going to be put to get bed sooner or later. Cleveland Browns can go about setting up how they want to run their practices in Berea come July 27th. Yeah, and I know the hearing concluded at the end of last week, and now it's the wait-and-see game. Seemingly, at the time of this recording, there's been no suspension levied so far. You know, maybe that ruling is coming soon. We don't know yet. But, Jeff, what did you gather from the hearing? What what did you learn from that, and kind of what what did you take away from everything that went on? I think part of the issues, and we know, you know, Mike Florio obviously has been very, very stout, you know, against Deshaun Watson and feeling he deserves a strong punishment. Um, but it seems like the gatherings and the word is as difficult as it was to maybe get files charged. I mean, charges filed against Deshaun Watson. I think the NFL is having some of those same issues as far as proving what they want to prove to which what would lead to a lengthy suspension when we say length lengthy we're probably talking more than a calendar you know more than one year obviously away from the cleveland browns and i think that's part of the issue that's being you know said there are some folks who have been associated to sean watson that speak positively of these said experiences um and obviously we know all the stories about those who feel that you know it was not a positive experience with deshaun watson um but i think it just comes up to you know it, 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 a being able to prove you know 
where in his maybe wrongdoing was and to and apply a, a number to it. So I think the league is struggling a little bit, you know, struggled a little bit in that respect, similar to authorities maybe did in actually getting, you know, charges filed against Deshaun Watson. And so with everything that that came out of this hearing, with everything you've been gathering, Jeff, over the past couple months here, you know, we, we've heard four to six games, six to eight games, a full year and indefinite, maybe nothing. What is the range that you feel like the suspension will end up being? And I know it's so hard to, to say right now, but what do you think the suspension will end up being when it actually does get handed down? There's a couple things that factor into this. Um, the fact that he didn't take it down last year and from his side saying, well, you know, he's missed 17 games. And then, you know, the league basically saying, well, but he got paid. So then technically he's not suspended. Um, when the Texans name came up as possibly, you know, culpable to the wrongdoings of Deshaun Watson and, you know, you know, side's going to argue, well, maybe they paid him and didn't play him, you know, to hopefully keep where, you know, I mean, there's so many legal aspects that can be done in this stuff. And to be fair, we're all not qualified to talk about it, but I mean, you know, we all watch some law and order. We all watch some, and you kind of see things that you notice that maybe don't necessarily coincide with way, you know, court process hearings process works. And, you know, if there's, you know, if the league is saying, you know, eight to 12 games, but then Watson's side is saying, well, there's got to be some way you view some of this based on 2021 where he didn't play at all. You know, so it's it becomes for a real difficult and gray area. I think everybody agrees there's going to be some time missed. Um, you know, I'll, I'll be stunned if there's none. I, I, I would be absolutely stunned. The only way that would work is if they full out look at 2021 and say that was your time served. Doesn't look good for the NFL, but then again, are, are, are we so concerned the NFL cares about looking what is right and what is wrong in these, some of these scenarios? We know, you know, obviously, you know, with their history in the past here. Um, do I think it's going to be lengthy? I don't think it's going to be lengthy. Um, I, I would say I, half a season is kind of where I've been on this. Um, I think the fact that he satisfied most of these civil uh, complaints against him certainly helps. And I think if anybody, I mean, if you're feeling and kind of reading maybe the way this was going was, is if you would like that number to be lower, can we make most of this go away? Um, you know, which, which Watson and his camp did this, you know, Watson to his credit said he was going to fight everything till the very end. Um, he certainly is not going to be the first affluent person to write a check to essentially make some sort of problem go away. Um, it's certainly happened in many walks of life, many societies of life. Um, me, I would say six to eight. Um, and I really feel that maybe this is something that's been known for months now since he first, you know, avoided being, you know, uh, having charges filed against him. And once the lawsuits and the trade started to come up, I'm sure the Browns were reaching out to the NFL. Is there any idea if we make this acquisition, what we're possibly looking at? And, you know, maybe a six to eight was something that was maybe ultimately always on the table. You know, you it's a bargaining chip, half a season. If the NFL is trying to get a season, obviously Watson's camp and the NFL Player Association try to get as late as we can. You feel like six to eight might be your median number there. Yes. Yeah, so so let's let's assume it is six to eight. What is your confidence level in the options they have behind Deshaun Watson to kind of keep the ship afloat in that situation? So you're looking at Jacoby Brissett, Josh Dobbs. There's been rumblings of them maybe going out there and looking at a Jimmy Garoppolo 
type player. And it doesn't look like it's going to be Baker Mayfield. That's been pretty clear. What do you think about the backup options behind Deshaun Watson if he is missing these, you know, assuming six to eight games here? Uh, there, I, I mean, you know, talk about, you know, waking up and, you know, with your hair purple or on fire, you know, that would be the ultimate Baker Mayfield scenario. That's which I mean, that's honestly just bringing so much talk to the Browns right now, as is Deshaun Watson's situation as well. I mean, the, the Browns need to just, you know, get both of these, you know, put to bed, you know, have the decision be given on Deshaun Watson and move on for Baker Mayfield. Everybody involved just needs to go their separate ways on that one. Jacoby Brissett, the first four games are very winnable games. You're talking about the Panthers. You're talking about the Jets. Uh, the Steelers are in there in those first, the first four games for the Browns are very winnable. Even if it is Jacoby Brissett could be an, as long as the Browns defense is able to do what the Brown uh, people feel the Browns defense is going to do this year, almost all of that defense back. Um, so, and nobody is getting anywhere close to, but a prime age on that defense, uh, added a little bit back, which it even clowny. And of course you go and sign, uh, you draft two more rookie pass rushers. If that defense running game were able to what they do, the Browns should be able to be good through those first four chargers, Patriots. After that, uh, lost a game last year to the chargers in a shootout, um, game. They probably should have come out on the right side of. Um, they went to New England, just got absolutely beat down. Um, the Bengals would fall within those first eight games. But Joe Burrow, to his to this point in his NFL career, has always had a difficult time with the Browns, has not beat the Cleveland Browns yet. So, you know, would it be a big surprise if Jacoby Brissett could play similar to Baker Mayfield in 2021, which everybody thought Baker was terrible, and maybe pull out a win against the Bengals in Cleveland? Certainly possible. Um, the biggest issue for me, though, is, and I think not enough people are talking about it, is the understanding of, oh, okay, if it's six games for Deshaun Watson, is it eight games for Deshaun Watson? The Browns are one snap away from Josh Jobs being their quarterback. I don't believe for an absolute second that that is something they are ready to do. Josh Jobs has played very limited to this point in his career. The Browns feel they can be competitive with Jacoby Brissett and another quarterback. I think they really feel they can be ultimate possibly uh, division winners with Deshaun Watson in the quarterback position. But, you know, you were one – if you find out at six to eight games, you are one snap away from Josh Jobs being your quarterback. I don't feel that's going to be the thing. There's guys like Garrett Gilbert. Would you maybe call the Saints and say, hey, Andy Dalton, is he interested in competing? And, you know, maybe Dalton beats him out and he plays those eight games. But you have to have a viable option. I don't think they want to punt on 2022 anyway, depending upon the Deshaun Watson situation. So there has got to be a viable option slash competition to Jacoby Brissett. And one of the reasons the Browns need this answer on the availability of Deshaun Watson and need it pretty quickly. Yeah, maybe maybe something happens this week. Maybe it happens next week. But training camp, it, it is quickly approaching. So it seems like maybe before then we'll we'll get some type of decision. <laughs> Certainly a ton to unpack with the situation. Jeff, I appreciate you joining me here. Oh, anytime, Kevin. Uh, obviously, we'll be talking you know, a couple times this season here. Uh, you know, two teams had much, much higher aspirations for 2021. You with your Ravens, obviously, here, the coverage on Cleveland Browns, hopefully rebounding and uh, take that step up here in 2022. Yeah, AFC North is going to be a very tough division, very competitive division. I'm excited to cover it here with you, Jeff. Thanks so much. Yeah, it seems like a suspension for Watson could be handed down in, who knows, the coming days or weeks as training camp does come closer. But still a ton to talk about here on Locked on NFL. Coming up, we're going to be talking with Chris Russell of Locked on Commanders about the Terry McLaurin extension. So be sure to stay tuned. Still a ton to talk about here on the show. First, though, I do want to tell you a bit about Bet Online. And Bet Online is the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. You can find all the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including Major League Baseball. And Bet Online is your continued source for all your sports, wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores. 
And BetOnline.net remains the best spot for all your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. BetOnline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite sports and events, including MMA, boxing, and golf. So head to the website today. Use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline, where the game starts. We're back here. Our second segment of Locked On NFL. Kevin Ostrich, your host, still here with you. And thank you for making Locked On NFL your first listen today. Be sure to subscribe to this channel on YouTube, like the video, and also be sure to follow us in audio form as well. But now we're going to be talking with Chris Russell of Locked On Commanders about Terry McLaurin and that extension. So let's dive into that conversation now. Now joining me, one of the hosts of Locked On Commanders, Chris Russell. And Chris, it's been a very eventful offseason, I'd say, for the whole NFL, especially the wide receiver market. Wide receivers booming contract-wise all over the place. Terry McLaurin, the latest to get a huge extension. How are you doing? Yeah, Kevin, thanks for having me. And uh, happy 4th of July weekend to you and uh, your listeners. And and yeah, you're. I mean, the market exploded far quicker and far greater than I think anybody in the media anticipated. And I will tell you this, definitely far greater than the commanders or faster than the commanders anticipated. They in no way, shape or form, if you injected them with truth serum on the record, off the record, what have you, you know, back in January, they would have never foreseen how many guys have got new contracts already. Seven or I believe it's seven of, of the major 20 plus million dollar variety. I think it's seven. Maybe it's a more than that. Whatever the number is, um, the market has continuously jumped and jumped and jumped. And that is the danger of waiting and being patient. And, you know, of course, two sides have to tango. Uh, but not attacking this thing right away is that the market then gets set up. Doesn't matter what you think a player is worth. It matters what the comparables on the on the market are worth or say he's worth. Yeah, you're you're exactly right. And McLaurin, part of that incredible 2019 wide receiver draft class that now features a bunch of players either signing those extensions or asking for trades mm-hmm. or already have been traded guys like Marquise Brown, AJ Brown, already finding new homes, right. Terry McLaurin. He was rumored to, you know, maybe be finding somewhere else to play, but they get the extension done. Washington McLaurin three years, 71 million, $28 million signing bonus that deal up to 71 million. Was this a deal you expected to get done? Did you expect McLaurin to stay in Washington? Was it a situation where you didn't expect them to pay him? What was the deal like for you when you first saw it? Yeah, I think I think the deal was expected all along. However, I did not personally, when he skipped mandatory minicamp, I thought there might be some drama into training camp, meaning, you know, a week, a couple of days, something like that. Um, because I was surprised that he even skipped mandatory minicamp. And, you know, the other element to this, um, he was reporting to the team facility in phase one and phase two of OTAs, right, where media is not allowed uh, to be there. But then right around or right after, I should say, the draft, Kevin, when they drafted Jahan Dotson middle of the first round after trading down out of number 11, and they were likely going to draft a wide receiver at number 11 or number 16. It turned out to be 16 and Jahan. Um, you know, I started to wonder, speculate if Terry was a little salty because, you know, they spent a mid-first round pick in Jahan Dotson. They spent a big boatload of free agency money on Curtis Samuel last offseason. They spent a third-round pick on De'Ami Brown. And, yes, you want help. You don't want to have to be the guy that defenses can just target and shut down. 
but you also want to get paid fairly. And I wondered at some point if Terry started looking around saying, well, it's great that you're bringing in all this help and all these resources and all these people, but you guys still got to pay me, you know? And I think again, Washington was trying to get him much closer to like $20 million a year, maybe even lower than that, as opposed to the ultimate, I think it's 23.7 or whatever it is uh, in terms of the new money average, really the key for Terry was the $28 million signing bonus. It's the it's the highest signing bonus for a wide receiver ever. And that was the, the, the trump card that he was kind of looking for. Okay, I'll give you a little bit of a break on the AAV in terms of not going to like A.J. Brown's $25 million, but you got to give me something in exchange and let's make it work. Right, and so that, that three for 71, Chris, how do you feel about that value-wise for McLaurin? Is this a deal that is worth it for Washington? Is it maybe a bit of an overpay, underpay? How do you feel that went? For yeah, that? I mean, I, I think it, you know, again, I think the rough average is 23.7 in terms of that new money. If it goes up to the 71 million, I, th- I think is how it w- was calculated. I, you know, to me, again, I think he's right there with A.J. Brown, who, again, is 25 million. I think he's better than Christian Kirk. And he's getting paid a little bit better than Christian Kirk. I think he's not as good as Tyreek Hill and and Devontae Adams and Cooper Cup, and he's not getting paid as you know. So I think he's I think it slots in there maybe a a, a touch lower on the AAV than I was expecting. Again, I was more expecting maybe like 24-5. You know, I'm not gonna make a big deal out of that. If you look at it, you know, here was another thing, and I had talked about this a lot, you know, with David and on my radio show that I thought Washington wanted a couple of things. Hey, help us out with the AAV, you know, so that we can kind of keep things sort of under control. And also, we must have that final year of your rookie contract included in this. So it's a, you know, in this case, it was three new years, but it's a four-year deal. Or if it was a four new year, it would be a five-year deal type thing. That final year at $3 million roughly, and again, we'll have to see how all the numbers ultimately shake out, whether they altered that that uh, this upcoming year, which was again going to count for under $3 million. Um, I thought that was important for Washington to hold on to because you don't want to give up you know, you don't want to give up that one year of a quote-unquote discount. Remember, Terry's not a first-round pick. He's a third-round pick, so we're making a whole lot of money. So that, again, was part of this negotiation. And I thought that – and I think that's why it probably took so long. You know, do we keep that year? Do we sacrifice that year? Do we – you know, can we get you on a lower AAV but give you a higher signing bonus, that type of thing? So, again, it seems like – from what I can tell and people that I've talked to, it seems like a pretty good give and take ultimately that got this done. Yeah, a fair deal for a very talented player, in my opinion. Someone who almost three 1,000-yard seasons through his first three years, just right. barely missed out on it during his rookie season with just over 900 yards. But Chris, what does he bring to this offense? Why, why was he so important for this team to retain as our number one guy here? Well, number one, Terry is a great route runner. He has very good hands, and he has very good speed. You know, of course, as you would expect. Um, so many times, Kevin, he would get past the defender, uh, whether, you know, usually in man coverage, uh, and Taylor Heineke, who, uh, you know, this wasn't the plan, played most of, of the year last year, quarterback because of the season opening injury to Ryan Fitzpatrick and, and, and Heineke could not get the ball to him. Um, so, so Terry's numbers are 
I think, misleading. And if you look, even you mentioned the rookie year, you know, unfortunately he's playing with, you know, I mean, he's playing with the late now Dwayne Haskins. Um, you know, he's playing with guys that aren't very good, quite honestly. Um, and then Alex Smith uh, coming off a leg injury and Kyle Allen and, you know, Taylor Heineke who was on his sister's couch, you know. Terry, you can't, I don't think it's fair to judge Terry purely by the numbers. I'm sure everybody could make that argument uh, and say, well, if he had a better offensive coordinator, if he had a better quarterback, you know, I mean, Hollywood Brown, you kind of mentioned him earlier, right? You know, some of the stuff we heard why he wanted out of Baltimore, you know, maybe it's the system, maybe it's the quarterback, whatever. I think a lot of these guys you can't necessarily judge purely by statistics. Here's what I know. When I watch Terry McLaurin, he can get past almost every corner. Uh, he is competitive as you know what. He is a, again, terrific route runner, very good hands, very good speed. He can play outside, inside. And I'll tell you this, Kevin, he is as good of a human being as you're going to find in this sport period. And he's a great leader. And I've known Terry since he walked in the door. Uh, I always thought he was going to be a better receiver than he was being painted out to be when he was painted out to be the best special teams player in the draft. And oh yeah, yeah. He plays wide receiver out of that Ohio. I always thought he was going to be better than that. I, I did not think he was going to be this good. Uh, and, and, and it's, and he's turned out to be this good. Yeah, he's, he's been one of the best receivers from that class. Again, all the talented players we've talked about throughout the entirety of this, Chris. And I know with Washington taking Jahan Dotson, I'm very interested to know and kind of hear your perspective on how you think Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dotson will play off of each other in this offense because they're two very talented receivers. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, look, um, both can play inside and outside. Terry's played, you know, roughly 25 to 30% of his snaps from the slot. And you know, most of them being outside, um, but he can play inside. Jahan Dotson played a lot of outside receiver at Penn State, but I think he forecasts more uh, and better inside. So the interchangeability there is key. Curtis Samuel, again, can play inside. He had his greatest success in Carolina uh, inside versus outside, but they prefer him outside. So I think you can mix and match. And then don't forget about Deami Brown, a former, you know, a third round pick last year from North Carolina, who has vertical speed as well. So I, I really think the commanders, if, if, and it's a lot of ifs, everybody can stay healthy. And Samuel was not healthy uh, at all last year. If they can stay healthy, they could have a quartet of receivers that really put, you know, defenses in a bind and, 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 um, um, you know, like, do you play, do you play a lot of soft coverage because they can take the lid off? Do you play man aggressive underneath because you don't want, you know, you know, you want to reroute, you want to jam those guys off the line of scrimmage and not let them get going. I mean, that's going to be for other defenses to try and figure out. But if all four of those guys are healthy and they're humming to some degree, it's going to be a really interesting fit. And I know, of course, it's Carson Wentz, and they got to figure out if Carson Wentz is a good quarterback still. And that's, of course, a huge question. Yeah, well, there will be no shortage of weapons for Carson Wentz to throw to in his right. first year in Washington. It feels like with McLaurin there, Dotson, you mentioned Brown, also Curtis Samuel. So that's a host of names. It's a host of good names. That Wentz yeah, be don't forget the running backs on the tight ends, too. Yep. I mean, they really do have more weapons than, you know, what people realize. Question is, can they stay healthy and is the quarterback any good? 
Exactly. Well, it feels like they have a roster to compete in that NFC East, the division that is very up for grabs at this point. And it seems like with all the additions they've made, they could be right in the thick of things if all goes right for them. But Chris, I appreciate you joining me here. Thanks so much. Thanks, Kevin. McLaurin's a player who absolutely deserved that extension. Again, one of the talented players coming out of that 2019 draft class, the receiver class that was taken in, in that draft is absolutely incredible. McLaurin, one of those players. But we're going to be talking about a lot more here in our final segment. We're going to be talking with Ross Jackson of Locked On Saints about Peyton Turner and that New Orleans Saints defense. So stay tuned for that. Still a ton to talk about here on the show. First, though. I do want to tell you a bit about Rock Auto. And this episode is brought to you by Rock Auto with the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models. It's now impossible for your local and auto bar store to stock all the parts you need. And sometimes there is often pointless or even simply intimidated questioning. You got to wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts or in their computer. You got to choose the only brand the warehouse happens to carry because that's all they have. So now you have to use access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. And you can save time and money when using Rock Auto. They're a family business. Their prices are super low. And you can explore the easy-to-use website today to find the solution to your auto parts needs. So go to rockauto.com right now. See the parts available for your car or truck. Right locked on. How'd you hear about us? Boxley, you know, we sent you amazing selection of live low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Rockauto.com. We're back. Our final segment of Locked On NFL. Kevin Ostriker, your host, still here with you. And again, thank you so much for making Locked On NFL your first listen of the day. Be sure to make your second listen any other show across our network because we have plenty of local experts talking about the biggest stories in their market. So be sure to check out any of those shows. But now in our final segment here on Locked On NFL, we're going to be talking with Ross Jackson of Locked On Saints about the Saints defense, including the return of Peyton Turner, their first round pick from 2021. He's been cleared. So let's talk about that now. All right. Rounding out the show here today, talking about some Saints defense. Peyton Turner is locked on Saints host Ross Jackson. And Ross, there is a lot to like about this Saints defense this upcoming year. And now that Peyton Turner has been cleared, that adds another dynamic to this defense that they didn't have for a ton of the year last year. How are you doing? Oh, doing great now. You know, glad for the New Orleans Saints to see this news. Uh, getting that defensive line rotation is a big, big deal for them. And Peyton Turner certainly adds another layer of depth into uh, that sort of rotation and, and, and that conversation for them. So huge, huge news for New Orleans. Yeah, it is. And I know that for some, Ross Peyton Turner in the 2021 draft was somewhat of a reach to some. There mm -hmm. could have been a couple of the guys who could have been taken in that spot, but Turner, obviously the upside there, it, it's immense. But he only played in five games, only had one sack. Injuries, obviously the key part there. I mean, for him to come back, what is he adding to this defense? Because he didn't really see a ton of them last year. What are you hoping out of him as he comes back and gets back into this rotation? Yeah, you're right. We had a small sample size uh, in terms of what we were able to see from him last year. 111 pass rushing snaps, according to Pro Football Focus, but totaled a total of 10 pressures, which included a sack and a couple of quarterback hits as well. And while 10 pressures doesn't sound very you know significant in a 17-game season, considering the fact that it's a 9% pressure rate on just 111 pass rushing snaps, that's really Really, really solid production, including actually uh, multiple pressures, multiple uh, run stops as well. I think it was credited with six run stops by Pro Football Focus in that one week two game against the Carolina Panthers. So he brings you somebody that's very disruptive, somebody that can, uh, you know, that has the length, that has the size, has all the measurables, fits the prototype of what it is New Orleans Saints like. They don't like speed rushers there. Uh, they've invested in a couple. They brought in Noah Spence a couple of years ago. They drafted Zach Bond. 
neither of those guys are going to find success in the New Orleans Saints system because the way that they like their defensive ends, they like their Cam Jordans, their Marcus Davenports, their uh, Tonto Passanios, like these guys that are big and can play both inside and out. And that's one of the things you love about Peyton Turner as well. So you get that disruptive nature. You get the versatility of somebody that can play inside and out just based on his size as long as he can pick up that skill set. And all of a sudden it changes everything you're able to do six, seven deep into your defensive line rotation. Yeah, and it's huge, especially for the rotation, for getting guys off the field. So they're not playing right. 95, 100% of snaps. You can have guys fresh, you know, late into the fourth quarter, whereas offensive linemen, they're usually out there for 100% of those snaps. Right. So defensive linemen, if you can take that, that's that's huge. But Ross, with Turner, what are you looking for out of him in terms of the maybe just production levels and the skill set that he has? Because there were some strengths that he showed. You mentioned the pressure rate, but also mm-hmm. what are you looking on? for his improvements in the second season. I think the biggest improvement that you're going to want to see from him is simply just staying on the field. I mean, it was it was a disappointing rookie season in that it was disappointing that fans didn't get to see him on the field. I got to watch him throughout training camp last year and you could see him flash over and over and over again looking forward to seeing him here in training camp in the next couple of weeks as well to see if he can get back to that. But I think that's the biggest piece is just you want to see if the injury that he had, the, I believe it was a, a surgery he had back in November that ended up keeping him on the sideline throughout most of the season. Is that something that's going to limit him at all coming into 2022? And if not, can he maintain some level of production, right? He doesn't have to maintain a 9% uh, pass rush win rate, which would be fantastic if he did that. Or not a pass rush win rate, excuse me, but a 9% pressure rate. That would be fantastic if he could hold that up. But, you know, something around that 5 6 7% where you like to see your defensive end so that they continue to be disruptive. The thing that's key about the New Orleans Saints defensive line is that you don't have to be a starter to have an impact. You don't have to be a starter to see the field. They rotate their defensive line like hockey players get rotated in, you know, in the middle of a, a hockey game where they just send five guys out and four guys back on. Like, they, they will continuously rotate these guys a bunch so I think it's really just seeing if he can stay healthy and making sure that he can maintain some level of production despite the injury as a part of his recovery yeah and you talk about the defensive line rotation and I think it helps not only just the the first line of defense there but you talk about the inside linebackers Mm -hmm. and that second level the defensive backs and the third level of defense it really goes for all three levels so with Turner's return with guys like Davenport Cam Jordan in there I mean, how exciting is that for you to kind of imagine that defensive line rotation with that success factoring in what they already have at the second and third levels? Yeah, I think it's great. I mean, let's talk about Demario Davis for a second. Demario Davis, 110 tackle or 100 100, uh, plus tackles in each of the last four seasons. Uh, 10 or more tackles for a loss in each of the last four seasons and three or more sacks in each of the last four seasons. The only NFL player to do that multiple times besides him was Roquan Smith, who did it twice in a row. And so you look at where Demario Davis is able to be that guy that comes in as a pursuit player from the second level who is fearsome when it comes to that level of the game, whether it's in the pass rush or if he's just closing in and getting disruptive in the backfield in the run game. Peyton Turner helps you do that. Peyton Turner with his length, with his strength, with his body, he's a guy that could take up multiple blockers. He can take up a lot of space. He can uh, attract the attention of multiple, uh, you know, of, of, of several players in protection to help open up lanes elsewhere. So I think that those are the other things that you end up benefiting from. And Pete Werner, who, you know, a former Ohio State Buckeye, he ended up being, you know, a really great asset for the Saints last year in his rotation of play. He's expected to step into a starting role here in 2022 next to Demario Davis. He's a fantastic pursuit player, showed that a ton with the Buckeyes, showed that a bit in the Monday night game against the Miami Dolphins when like literally every New Orleans Saints player was out in that game. And Pete Werner was the only like last man standing in that one. And then you consider a guy like, 
Tyra Matthew, who just got added, who's a great blitzer from that third level, sometimes can come up to the second or come up to the defensive line. And CJ Garner Johnson, who the you know Dennis Allen loves to send on all out blitzes on third downs to take that risk and get some pressure on the quarterback. Peyton Turner being a big body and being somebody that has the agility and that has sort of the athleticism that he does, along with Marcus Davenport, along with Cam Jordan, you get those three guys out on the field together and what the Saints call a NASCAR package, and then you look at pressure from all these other different areas, puts the Saints in a situation to have a lot of really interesting and sort of exotic uh, pressure situations that they can create for themselves. Yeah, and speaking of that, what's the versatility like on this defense now? Obviously, adding Turner <laughs> back, you you now have Tyron Matthew, who is yeah. one of the more versatile players in this league. I mean, it goes beyond, again, the defensive front. This is an all-three-level thing in terms of the versatility. Yeah, I mean, versatility is in multiplicity. Like, those are things, those are key words when you talk about the New Orleans Saints defense. And, you know, they added Marcus May this past offseason as well to help replace Marcus Williams, who, of course, went to the Baltimore Ravens. He's somebody that has a lot of experience as a deep safety player since 2017. He's the guy that was responsible for going into this offseason the most uh, forced incompletion, the highest forced incompletion percentage outside of Marcus Williams, who's number two on that list. And so you replace him with somebody that has really great deep safety ball skill type you know, player, but then has spent the last two seasons in Robert Sala's defense where he was asked to play in the box quite a bit. So he also has that versatility. Now you look at CJ Garden Johnson, all the places that he can play PJ Williams, all the places that he can play Bradley Roby, who can play inside and out Alante Taylor, who they just added, who can play, you know, inside, he can play out, he can play up on, uh, you know, play as a deep safety as well. So just a ton of versatility specifically in the secondary, but you see it in the, the second level because the saints tend to just use nickel packages, dime packages a lot. It's only two linebackers at most usually out on the field. Those guys know how to play each other's position. And then, of course, all the different exotic things that they do over on the defensive line, as we've already addressed, this entire defense becomes one that gets predicated now its success on disguise, which is something that Dennis Allen has been really, really good at since probably 2017, once the staff started, the, per, the personnel, uh, player staff started looking the way that he needed it to. Yeah, and the interesting part about these top level defenses that is a whole of their strengths but it does depend whether you know is the biggest strength in the secondary is it in the defensive line is it at the second level Ross do you feel like this defensive line group is one of the strengths of this defense is it one of the weaknesses or is this just a balanced defense where there's not really a clear-cut strength or weakness I think the secondary is probably the strongest part. We'll have to see what it looks like on on the field, but it, it seems to be the most the strongest unit um, on paper. My concern with the defensive line is still on the interior. Um, you know, it's great to have Cam Jordan, great to have you know Marcus Davenport, um, uh, Peyton Turner coming back. Like those guys over on the edge are great, but you look at David Onyemata in the middle, and then who's lining up next to him? I mean, you're looking at maybe a you know multi year guy as an undrafted free agent in Shy Tuttle, uh, maybe another undrafted free agent in Malcolm Brown. At, at best, you're Prop, you're looking at a couple of free agents like Dillil Johnson, Contavia Street, or a six-round draft pick from this year as a rookie in Justin Jackson out of the Air Force Academy. So who's going to be the person next to David Onyemata is my biggest question mark when it comes to the Saints defense. Almost the biggest question mark if it wasn't for Alvin Kamara's impending potential suspension. That would be the biggest question for me, would be the defensive interior. So I, I actually think the defensive line is still maybe the place where I have the largest question mark, but it doesn't mean that by any means it's weak. We just don't yet know exactly what that full, let's just say, four down linemen set looks like because we don't know who that other guy in the middle is just yet so that'll be really interesting to watch over the course of camp yeah it will be and turner's addition or re-addition into that defensive line unit is one that'll be big for the saints they position themselves well to be a top 10 maybe even a top five unit it's all on paper right now but also i'm excited to see what it all looks like when they actually get all out onto the field thanks so much for joining me here hey the very same and no problem absolute pleasure to be here with you buddy
That Saints defense, I'm telling you, top 10, potentially top five potential. We could see the Saints defense really take off with the addition of Tyron Matthew, obviously the return of Peyton Turner and everything that this defense has. Very, very deep positional groups all across the board there. But that's all I have for you here today on Locked On NFL. Thank you so much for tuning in. When we get back here tomorrow, I'll be diving into more content with your Tuesday host. So be sure to stay tuned for that, and we'll see you right back here tomorrow.